Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. I can't help it. When I'm dressed like this, I want to say things like, this aggression will not stand, man. Stuff like that. I told Pastor Michelle, we look like we should be uh, leading a Jesus cult in some commune somewhere today. Hey, we're so happy you're here. I'm going to have to take off these glasses because I can't see a thing. I have to put on my nerd glasses if I want to see you guys. Just complete disclosure, I have never looked like this in my life. Uh, I didn't look like it's in high school. I didn't look like it's in college. I actually have a, a photo of me from high school. Do you guys have that back there? Yeah. Yeah, we have real nerd energy going on there, I'm telling you. I will say there were people who looked like this in my high school, but that wasn't me. I've thought a lot about this boomer generation, the 60s, particularly the late 60s. And the thing I remember strongest, really, happened on July 20th in 1969, uh, and there was this amazing occurrence, and it was watched by millions of people on television worldwide. And I was about 10 years old then. And the thing I remember most strongly is my entire family piled up on my little twin bed in the bedroom I shared with my little brother Gary because we only had one TV in the house. Can you imagine that? That's kind of crazy, too. We had one black and white TV that was in our bedroom. And we as a family sat and watched as the Apollo 11 lunar module landed on the moon. And after several hours, it took about two hours for the astronauts to put on their special space suits. Astronaut Neil Armstrong becomes the first human to step down on the surface of the moon at 9.55 Central Standard Time. This past week on July 20th was the 54th anniversary of that extraordinary human event. And I remembered I tried to take a picture of the TV screen with our family camera, which was an old Kodak Instamatic, you know, not very sophisticated. And because there was a glare on the screen, we had to take them down and get them processed and developed. I get it back. It looks like I took a picture of a blank screen. So somewhere on that blank screen, Neil Armstrong is stepping down on the moon. For me, this event is indicative of the high points of that transformational time that encompassed the late period of the 60s, like I said, 68, 69. And some of the most challenging events, as Pastor Michelle mentioned, the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King and the assassination of presidential candidate Bobby Kennedy. Uh, There were race riots after the assassination of Martin Luther King. A lot of our cities were ravaged by that. And then there were increasingly strong, violent protests against the war in Vietnam. Now, for that matter, the war in Vietnam raged on for at least another several more years. The Vietnam War has been called the Living Room War because it was broadcast on the evening news every weekday afternoon at 5.30. I remember very clearly there was a little graphic that would come up every evening, and it was just a picture, you know, they didn't have great production values, but it was a picture of a jungle scene, and it would say, killed this week, killed this year, killed so far, a total number of killed. And that still has a really strong impression on me. I was kind of a weird kid. This will shock no one. And most afternoons, I was in front of the television watching the CBS Evening News. Now, when our preaching group met, Pastor Michelle met with us to talk about this series, and she said, 
she asked, who is the prophet of the baby boomers? And I immediately, without thinking much about it, I suggested Walter Cronkite. Does anybody remember Walter Cronkite? Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. And I said, he's got to be the prophet for the baby boomers. It's hard to convey today how trusted, we, we kind of trusted our new services more. And boy, Walter Cronkite was really, was, if he said it, it was right. It was true. You know, no one would question it. It's so much so that there was a, a poll taken in 1972, and Walter Cronkite was the most trusted man in the United States. I can tell you that while I was too young to fight in Vietnam, I did have the experience of observing the war through the evening news. Now, I don't want to compare myself. I know we have veterans who actually served in that theater of conflict, and I don't want to compare myself to them, but I do carry very strong memories of seeing footage of firefights and seeing our soldiers shot and wounded and sometimes killed right in the living room screen. I happen to have been watching the CBS Evening News as a boy. I was nine years old, almost 10, in February, February 1st, 1968, when the North Viet Cong captain, Nguyen Van Lim, was summarily executed when he was shot in the head by the Republic of Vietnam General Nguyen Ngoc Long during the Tet Offensive. And these images are still with me today. I still carry these today. And I think they have shaped my thinking for my entire life. Some of the more positive events of this time were the moon landing, as I mentioned, Woodstock. Now, I don't know if Woodstock was seen as a positive, uh, especially if you had to clean up after. It was probably not a positive. But now we sort of look back at that in our rose-colored glasses, and, you know, it was a summer of love and music, and it was just really a wonderful uh, time. Uh, the opening of the musical Hair happened during 1968. I don't know if that's a positive, but it did give us the dawning of the age of Aquarius, which was kind of an anthem. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. We could have a sing-along here. Tonight. I, know, I know we could. And in 1968, the number one song was by the Beatles, Hey Jude, and it encouraged us to take a sad song and make it better. And that song reflects that optimistic outlook that the boomer generation had. The boomer generation was a special generation. Just ask us. We were special. The boomer generation was so special that there were marketing executives who were strategizing, how are we going to market to this generation that's coming up before it even started? They could see that on the horizon. And according to Dr. Twinge, that's the book that Don mentioned last week. We've been studying generations by a researcher named Dr. Twinge. Boomers were the only younger generation in history that was universally adored by the older generation. Well, I thought we were adored by the older generation. Now, while the silent generation changed the laws to make a more egalitarian society, it was, according to Dr. Twinge, the boomer generation that changed the hearts and minds of the people. We, as boomers, believed we could change the world. In our planning meeting, Pastor Michelle, kind of sarcastically, said, because she's Gen X, you know. She's carried a bitterness about that, right? So in our planning session, she goes, oh, those boomers, they thought they could change the world. And I said, I still think I can change the world. <laughs> what are you talking about? So in the midst of this tumultuous time, we remain unreasonably optimistic about the future. So my project this morning is to situate the prophet Jeremiah with the attributes of the baby boomer generation. 
Now, how special was the prophet Jeremiah, you might ask? Well, notice with me how Jeremiah writes about his calling from Yahweh in chapter 1, verse 4 through 10. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah says, oh, no, I'm just a young boy. You, you know, and God says, don't you say you're a young boy. I'm going to send you places. I'm going to give you power. And then the prophet Jeremiah says, and then the Lord God put his hand and touched my mouth and said, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I have appointed you over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. What power. How special would you feel if that's your calling story? The Old Testament scholar, Dr. John Skinner, notes that Jeremiah is special among the prophets in that Yahweh has called him to be a prophet to the nations rather than just a prophet to Israel. That's different than the other prophets mentioned in the Bible. And Professor Skinner also notes that the book of Jeremiah is unique among the writings of the prophets because there's so much autobiographical and biographical information about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is telling you his story. He's telling you how he feels. I'm oppressed or I'm joyful. And if he's not telling you, Jeremiah has a second lieutenant or a scribe named Baruch. And Baruch is filling us in on the details of Jeremiah's life. You can see, very special. And this brings me to our scripture lesson this morning. It's found in Jeremiah 32, verse 1 and 2, and then verse 6 through 17. Jeremiah received the Lord's word in the 10th year of Judea's king Zedekiah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. At that time, the army of the Babylonian king had surrounded Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined to the prison quarters in the palace of Judea's king. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Your cousin Hanamel, Shamul's son, is on his way to see you. And when he arrives, he will tell you, buy my field in Anathoth, for by law you are next in line to purchase it. And just as the Lord said, my cousin Hanamel showed up at the prison quarters and told me, buy my field in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for you are the next in line and have a family obligation to purchase it. Then I was sure this was the Lord's doing. So I bought the field in Anathoth for my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. Then I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy with the terms and conditions, and the unsealed copy and gave it to Baruch, Niera's son, and Messiah's grandson before my cousin Hanamel, and the witnesses named in the deed as well as before all the Judeans who were present in the prison quarters. I charged Baruch before all of them. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims, take these documents, these sealed documents, a purchased and the unsealed one, and put them in clay containers so they will last a long time. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. After I had given the documents to Baruch, Niera's son, I prayed to the Lord. Lord God, you created heaven and earth by your great power and outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In this passage of Scripture, we find Jeremiah in a discouraging place in his life, really. He's been ministering to this people that he lives with for several decades, and they are violently opposed to his message. And by the way, the people he's preaching to are God's people. They're the Israelites. 
Now, Jeremiah has been imprisoned by the angry king Zedekiah for prophesying the downfall of Zedekiah's kingdom and the king's captivity. And to make matters worse, the army of the most powerful country in the world is encamped around the perimeter of the city in which he is incarcerated. So what we are seeing here in the prophet Jeremiah, he's showing us his extreme optimism. In the act of purchasing property while he's in prison in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is surrounded and under siege, and to add insult to injury, the location of the property that he's buying is currently occupied by the enemy camp. He can't even go over and see it. Well, he's in prison. He can't go anyway. To put it in boomer terms, it would be like someone calling up a real estate agent during the Tet Offensive in 1968 and saying, hey, I want to buy a summer vacation home in Saigon. Kind of crazy. What the prophet Jeremiah is saying dramatically by his actions is his belief that the land had a future and will not be utterly destroyed. As the scripture says, and this is the punchline of this very long story, the Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel proclaims houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Take a sad song and make it better. So what can we learn from the boomers and the prophet Jeremiah and their unreasonable positive outlook in the face of challenging and difficult times? I believe we hear our message in that prayer that Jeremiah prays after this ridiculous land purchase when he exclaims, Lord God, nothing is too hard for you. When we look around today, we see there are a lot of things happening just now, and many of them seem unprecedented. In an earlier sermon, I said, I want everything that happens over the next few days to be totally precedented. I'm, I'm really tired of unprecedented. There are weather events, there are mass shootings. We have a major European land war like we never thought we'd see again. And I know from conversations with many of you that you are discouraged by our vitriolic political language where if we disagree politically, we become mortal enemies and not just political rivals with different policy perspectives. All these evils can really be soul-crushing, and we are called to resist these evils and injustices and work for justice and peace, but I know it's easy to get discouraged, to focus on the bad and the terrible and the horrible things we see going on around us. But I believe what God is asking us through this story of Jeremiah and his extravagant optimism is to look out a little past the horizon. What is that ministry or that gift or that service to the kingdom that you've had in the back of your mind and you think, maybe God's calling me to do this and step out on faith and make it happen? And I think that the story of Jeremiah is telling us not to let the circumstances around us limit our ministry or our outreach. It would have been easy for Jeremiah to say, well, I'm in prison and the Babylonian army has surrounded the city. I don't think it's a smart investment to buy this land right now. I'm not sure where God is leading our church, but I feel in my bones that God wants us to metaphorically make a ridiculous land purchase. I believe God is asking us to remember the prophet Jeremiah's message in verse 17. He says, Lord God, nothing is too hard for you. Woo, I got a little excited there. <laughs> there is a phrase that God uses several times when he's speaking to Jeremiah, and, and some of the reference material I looked at, they call this a formula. And the formula goes like this. God says to the prophet Jeremiah, the days are surely coming. For example, the days are surely coming when I will make a new covenant with my people. 
For the days are surely coming when I'll fulfill my promise to the house of Israel. Now, I believe God may be giving our community a days are surely coming message. And I don't know how this message is going to be realized, but I believe it will come from folks in our congregation who answer a calling that God may have laid on their hearts. Recently, I was talking to a member of the church, and this person said, you know, I love Pastor Michelle's preaching. I'm going to talk about you a little, Pastor Michelle. So I love Pastor Michelle's preaching, but it also makes me feel bad when I come and hear her preach. I said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, well, when I hear her preach, I feel like I should be doing something, doing something for our church ministry. And I used to come to services and sit in church for an hour, and I'd think, yeah, I've done my bit. I'm good. Michelle's preaching makes me think I should be doing more. So if you're feeling that, I encourage you to act on that ministry and that gift or that service to the kingdom that you have in the back of your mind. And like Jeremiah, don't let circumstances prevent you from initiating a new thing in the life of this church. So, beloved, I challenge us this morning, like the prophet Jeremiah, to lean into the promises of God and metaphorically let's make some land purchases in the enemy camp and say, with the help of God, I can change the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.